All right, so uh, we're going to look at four basic episodes in the life of Samson. Brief overview and then some application. So we're going to look at his birth. We're going to look at his marriage. We're going to look at his, uh, his demise and his death. Four things in Samson's life. And, and if you know the story, you, you might uh, be sad that you don't hear some of the really, there's a, a lot of cool stories that happen here. And some of them we just got to, we just got to you know, go over, all right? So, so I encourage you to read it. So we see the people of Israel are in cycle, cycle after cycle. This is actually the last of, of the cycles, right? It's a cycle of, of sin and servitude and supplication of salvation and silence, right? This has been the, the cycle over and over. And if we remember last week with, with Jephthah, that cycle ended with no rest. Right? There was no silence part. Right? Jephthah didn't deliver anything. The, the cycle continued and continued. And, and again, the cycle, as we go into chapter 13, uh, presses on. And in verse chapter 13, verse 1, it says the people of Israel, again, as usual, as expected, right? they do evil in the, in the eyes of the Lord. Right? They do right in their own eyes, but they do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the Lord gave him to the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. 40 years. And then right after, so they were, there we see sin, servitude, right? And then right after that, we see the birth of Samson. The, the, the salvation part of the cycle begins. And, and the birth of Samson is in chapter 13, 2 through 25. He's the last of the God-appointed judges. We see Samson has a, has a story uh, very similar to a lot of the other important characters in the Bible, like like Isaac and Jacob and and, and Samuel and, and John the Baptist and even Jesus. There's a lot of these. It's a very similar story where where an angel of the Lord comes to comes to the a barren woman, or in Jesus's case, right, his his mother was a virgin, and comes to announce a special birth. So the angel comes to the uh, Samson's mother and tells him that he's gonna, that he's gonna, be, her, her Samson is gonna be born and he's gonna be a Nazarite from the womb, right? This Nazarite vow, it's, it, the purpose of this Nazarite vow, it's, it means to be set apart, right? Chosen, called out for something special, and you typically it's it's for a, a a period of time where where someone would voluntarily take this vow, right? For to ask for God's special help in a crucial time. That's what the Nazarite vow was about. It was a, it's a vow to look at God for a period of time of great intensity and focus. And now something was uh, unique about Samson is he was called out from even the womb to take part in this Nazarite vow. And his mother began observing the vow so, so while he's in the womb, right? So, so God's calling him out for something special, right, to, to bring salvation to the people, She's told to not to abstain from no wine or strong drink, no unclean food, don't cut his hair. If you're interested for more on this vow, go to Numbers 6, 1 through 21. You can go read later. But really, God is setting Samson apart to save uh, God's people, right? To be the deliverer, to be the savior. And you see with Samson, you know, it's like we get we're getting to the end of the book, and it appears like he's the most promising, right? He's the most promising deliverer of all of them, right? Set apart from birth. He's got, 
it's something special that God's going to do. So he has got this great potential, we see, but he's also got great potential for being the biggest disappointment. And that's more of what we see with, with Samson's life. What, what in verse, chapter 13, verse 5, it tells us that he will begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. He's going to only begin, right? This won't be completed. Christ is the one that, that completes the salvation. But he's going to begin to do this. And, and finally, Samson is born. We see that he, he's filled with the Spirit. He's, he's set apart from birth. He's got God's blessing from birth. But we also see it with Samson, right? This special birth, but he's also the most flawed person in, in this book. He's the most flawed person in this whole book. He's, he's violent. He's temperamental. He's sexually a, addicted. Right? He's totally controlled by his, his, his senses. He's emotionally immature and, 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 and selfish. And the strange thing of, in all this story is that the Spirit of God still keeps moving and working through him in all this story. Now, does anyone notice what was missing from this cycle, right? Put this cycle chart back up. Did anyone notice what's missing? We saw sin, we saw servitude, and then we see the birth of Samson, right? Normally in every cycle, what you see is the people of Israel cry out to the Lord. But in this cycle, the people don't cry out. There's no crying out to God. And so this cycle is, is a, a, it's a broken cycle. And it's a picture of the the spiritual state of Israel, right? They don't cry out to God. They're no longer crying out to God. And in the end, we'll see there's no rest at the end of the cycle as well, right? So what we see with the the people of Israel is that they've, they've completely adopted the custom and the culture and the idols of the Philistines. They've, they've accepted their, their uh, oppression, right? They've, they've, They've uh, married into the culture. Even later, uh, they, they tell Samson, hey, don't, don't you realize the Philistines are lord over, lords over us? Don't, don't cause any trouble. Right? So they've accepted their, their oppression, and, and they're on the brink of extinction. Right? Within a couple of generations, they could have been completely assimilated into this Philistine culture. And, and, and that's a big deal. Right? That's a, bit, a really big deal for, for them to be assimilated because if there's no more covenant people of God, there's no covenant between God and man. If there's no covenant between God and man, right, these, this is the family of God where the, the future Savior is going to come through, right? There's, there's no Savior. There's no hope. There's, there's no hope for God's redemption. There's no hope for God's reconciliation of all things, right, to re- restore this, the heavens and the earth. This is very dangerous. This is scary. And, and, and so, if you think about this, this is the greatest threat that Israel has faced throughout all its time in captivity. Right? Think about it. When they're, when they're being crushed and oppressed and, and enslaved and, and people are dying and they're suffering, they're crying out to God. Right? They need a Savior. They need help. But when things are comfortable and easy, and they feel safe and secure, and maybe they're, they're doing pretty good in this Philistine society. They can prosper here, and they can work their way up, and in society, they, they, 
they can have health and wealth and prosperity in the middle of this culture. It's ah, pretty nice here. We can, we can stay here, right? Samson, don't cause any problems. And they don't cry out. They're, they're in, which is, by the way, is the greatest danger for the church, right? The, the, the church or even us in our own lives to just settle into culture, just be happy and comfortable and begin to compromise, right? Compromise truth. Ah, truth is relative. Compromise sexual ethics, or right? Compromise on uh, on on sin, right? You can you can just start compromising on all these things. And you know what? It's not that big a deal. Everything's happy and and comfortable. I'll just do what's right in my own eyes, and I'll make it perfectly fine here in this culture. Right? That's a great danger for Israel, for you, and for the church. So the greatest threat is not persecution, right? In persecution, anytime the church is persecuted, the church grows. It grows in persecution, right? But when the church or when us in our own lives have it easy and comfortable, we, we think, ah, you know what? I can kind of do this by myself. I don't really need God. I don't need to cry out. I don't need his help. And so that's the, that's the scariest threat for us. So the next scene, we see Samson's marriage and the fallout, all right? Chapter 14 through 15, 20. We see Samson goes down to Timnah, and he sees this Philistine woman he wants to marry. And he, he tells his parents, go get her for me. I want to marry her. We see uh, his parents try to reason with him. No, you know, why would you marry a, an uncircumcised Philistine? Why would you marry outside of the the the, the faith outside of the family of God, right? They're, they're trying to warn him to, from being unequally yoked, right? Which is a, a command in the Old and New Testament that, that believers are just not to, supposed to marry outside of the faith, and that's what's going on here. And his parents are trying to, trying to protect him, right? Because you marry outside of the faith, and you worship that person's idols. The, the, the pressure to, to pull away from the Lord is, is greater, and he won't, he's unwilling to listen. Get her for me, he rudely insists. He says that she is right in my own eyes. And so Samson is a picture of Israel, right? Israel's doing what's right in their own eyes. Samson's doing what's right in his own eyes, which what we see over and over, right? The sin is that they've done evil in the sight of the Lord, right? So doing what's right in your own eyes is evil in the sight of the Lord, right? Because we are not the ones who get to decide what's right and wrong, right? Culture, our own desires, whatever. We don't get to set right and wrong. Only God gets to set what's right and wrong. And when we, be, we, we begin to think, oh, well, I set right and wrong. I'm not hurting anyone. I can do whatever I want. Or, hey, the culture says it's okay, so what's the big deal, right? God says what's right and what's wrong. That's an important thing to know. That's, important. That's very dangerous for the church as well, right? When we begin doing what's right in our own eyes or in the eyes of the culture. Now, Judges 14.4 uh, is the crucial verse in all of Samson's story. It's, a, it's the key to understanding the whole, this whole cycle here. It says, His parents did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to confront 
the Philistine. Right? So this whole, this whole marriage thing, God's going to use Samson's own evil, sinful desires for good. God's going to use this, right, his, his sexual temptations to, to create conflict between Israel and the Philistines. That's what God's going to do. And, and this marriage ends up leading to more and more conflict, a blood feud, right, division from these, through the, from these two nations that is so needed, right, because what, what, now they're, if you think about it right there, they're assimilating into culture. They're happy. They're comfortable. They don't want any problems. So God's going to use Samson, his own sin, right, his own anger and revenge and sexual immorality to create problems, to create division, to protect God's covenant people from assimilating into this culture, right? God can even use evil for good. We see that often in Scripture. And so we see God being committed to his promises to, to his people as well in this. So Samson, it tells us in verses 10 through 18 that he, he prepares to, to marry his bride. And he, he gambles with the Philistines. He gives them this, this riddle in, in order, and he wants, it kind of takes a bet, right? He says, if you can crack my riddle, then, then uh, if you can't crack it, right, I'll get, all this stuff, he's going to gain riches. And if you do crack it, then you, you will gain riches. Well, what happens is the Philistines can't crack his riddle. They're unable to crack it. And so what they do is they pressure his wife, who, who, who they, uh, he's engaged to, but he hasn't yet uh, you know, had the wedding day yet, to tell them the, tell them the answer to the Or they... They pressure her to ask him to tell her the, you know, the answer to the riddle so she will tell, tell them. And, and she does. She betrays Samson. Samson tells her the riddle, which is, you'll see this is a pattern in Samson's life. He's, he, if there's any weakness in him, it comes around women. And, and so she tells them. They cheat. They crack the riddle. And Samson, in, in, in revenge, in vengeance, he kills 30 Philistines. It tells us he, he kills them. And this is not, Samson's not doing this to save Israel. He's doing it for his own selfish gain. He's doing it because he doesn't want to pay up on the vet, right? And so he kills these guys. Now, and, and, you, and the scene ends, right? Now, later on, we're told in chapter 15 that now he, he goes back. He's heading back to see his bride He's got a young goat in hand, right? He's, he's going to consummate his marriage is what he's doing, right? So this is, his, this is going to be his wedding night, right? Consummate. Uh, and uh, I, I imagine this, right, this young goat. He's, I imagine Samson getting freshened up, right, brushing his teeth, doing his hair, getting dressed up. He's excited, this is an exciting moment for him in his life. He's got the young goat, which I don't know about how romantic a young goat was in that day, but you would think he'd get some chocolates and, and some flowers or something. Maybe he wasn't very romantic at all. Uh, he's going, and when he, he finally arrives, right, you got to see that he's excited about this time. And when he finally arrives, he finds that his, his uh, wife has been given away to his best man. 
right? Scandalous. You can make one of those uh, uh, romantic movie, romantic comedy movies out of this. <laughs> it's more of a romantic tragedy. But uh, he ends up finding out his wife's been given away because her father didn't think, you know, he thought he would hate her after, after how she betrayed him. And he, Samson responds by burning the Philistines' fields. So he burns their fields. The Philistines respond by burning his wife and, and her father. Right? So there's this back and forth conflict that's happening. And then Samson again, he responds. He attacks them viciously and he kills many Philistines. Conflict. Conflict. He slaughters many Philistines. Now the Philistines respond by, by taking up arms and, and, going, uh, and making camp in Judah. And they're coming to take Samson prisoner. And what we see in this, this scene here is that Israel is so eager to remain at peace that they have no idea that God has raised up a judge to save Israel. Right? They, they want to keep peace. They don't want Samson ruining this. And, so, and even when they discover that God has raised up a deliverer, they send 3,000 men to go, up, go in and, and take Samson so they can hand him over to the Philistines. And Samson... He willingly allows them to tie him up and, and, and turn him over. So they, what we see is they'd rather live at peace, right, with the Philistines than, and, and worship their idols than be freed to worship God. And that's the problem in this whole, this whole scene, this whole cycle, right? They'd rather cut down their own rescuer than risk confrontation to the world. So they tie up their judge. They take him to the Philistines. And what we see is the Spirit of the Lord comes on him in power. And this is not the first time it's happened. The Spirit of the Lord comes on him in power. He breaks out of his bonds. It tells us that he grabs a jawbone of the donkey, which is very, very strange. It's an unclean animal. He break, he's breaking his Nazarite vow. And he kills, he struck down a thousand men, taunting them as he kills them. In verses 14 through 15. That's what he does. So again, we see the whole point of, of Samson's Mary, the whole, whole point of this section here is to show us that God is using Samson's sin, right, his evil for God's good purposes, to preserve his people, to, to, to cause conflict so that they will not blend in with the world. So next we see Samson's demise in chapter 16, 1 through 22. Samson's demise. It tells us sometime later, verse 4, he fell in love with another Philistine woman whose name was Delilah, right? And so what happens in this story is is the Philistines approach Delilah, the lords of the Philistines, right, the the leaders of the nation, and and they, they offer her riches, basically, to find out the source of Samson's power. They want to know how they can bind him up and and how they can uh, uh, overpower him, how they can ridicule him, right? So they send her as a a double agent or whatever to to, uh, expose Samson and figure out what the root of his strength is. Now, what motivates her to to betray her lover? You got to know that this is the lords of the Philistines. This conflict has grown so 
great between Samson and the Philistines that this is now, he's seen as a national problem, right? This is not a, just a fight between some families. This is a national problem. And so the temptation would, her, would be for financial gain, but also she could be a, a national, national heroine, right? She'd be a great hero in the nation if, if she could find out how to take out Philist, uh, Samson who's causing all this trouble. So she could have wealth and power and influence, and, and she could be set for her, her whole life. And so that's probably her motive in all of this. And so her first question to Samson is, is obvious, right? She, in verse 6, she asks where he gets his strength and how someone could bind him up. You know, you would think Samson would be a, a little uh, suspicious, a little worried, like, hey, what's going on here? Like, she trying to double-cross me, or what's going on here? But... But what Samson does, and so he might have had a little suspicion, three times we see, and we can't go through each of the times, but three times he basically lies to her and tells her, makes up a way that he can be, be bound up and overpowered. And we see three times she binds him up and she says, Samson, the, the, the Philistines are upon you. That's the, that's the cue for the Philistines to come in and and take them away. Three times they're waiting in ambush, and, and three times whenever she says that, Samson jumps up and tears off the ropes or whatever he's bound with, and, and it's no problem. And so this, this, this happens until it, in verse 15 through 16, we see finally she's nagging him day after day. Samson, if you loved me, you would, you would tell me the source of your strength. You must not love me because you're lying to me, right? So she's begging him until he breaks. He caves in. He can't bear to disappoint her anymore, and, and, he, and he tells him, right? He tells her the, the secret to his strength. He tells her that it's in his hair, which is part of the Nazarite vow, that he wouldn't cut his hair. And so he couldn't bear to disappoint her, even though it, would, it could be the potential... Uh, source of his ruin, right, which is, which is just like a lot of destructive relationships, right, where, where, where people will stay in these destructive relationships even when they're leading them to ruin. So in verse, so after this, verses 17 through 19, we see that Samson doesn't leave after telling her this. It tells us that he ends up going to sleep on her lap, which is very strange. You know, you would think, well, hey, she's tied me up a few times already and tried to, tried to ambush me and take me out, and, and he's perfectly okay with just taking a nap in her lap when his hair is right there. And it makes you ask, well, why? Why would he go to sleep on her lap knowing that over and over again she's tried to, to take him out? Well, the, I think the point is he didn't believe his hair he didn't believe his Nazarite vow. He didn't believe the Lord was the source of his strength. Even though every time we see when, that when, when he does these amazing things, it's because the Lord is with him, right? It's not because of his strength. It's, it's not because of his hair. It's because God is with him, and I think that the hair is just a symbol of that. And so he's broken this vow over and over. And, and so I, I'm sure he thinks, ah, you know, if, if the hair's gone, no, no big deal, right? Well, 
And, and so his problem, most of all, is he thinks his strength is his. Right? He thinks no matter what he does, that the strength is always his, right? That it's rooted in him and not the Lord. And so what happened here is we see uh, in verses 18, 18 through 20, Delilah, now knowing the truth, sends for the Philistines. She, she has his head shaved while he's sleeping there. And she cries out, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Well, when he wakes up, he's got to know his hair's gone. But he, when he gets up, he says, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. So he's thinking he gets up, he knows his hair's, his hair's gone, and ah, no big deal. I'll go out before, I'll, I'll kick everyone's butt, I'll win this battle, and, and glory will be for me, right? Because he thinks the, the strength is in him, not in the Lord. And he doesn't know that the Lord has left him. It tells us that the Lord had left him when his hair was shaved. And so he assumed that the, the strength would be there. And... Uh, we see that he's seized because now he's, his, he's just like any other man. He's seized. He's shackled up. We're told his eyes are gouged out. He's blinded. And he's reduced to gr- grinding grain at the mill in the prison. For the first time in the book of Judges, we see that one of God's judges is, is defeated. He's defeated, humiliated. And it, and it almost looks kind of hopeless. But it does give us a little glimpse of hope. It tells us that, but his hair begins to grow back. But his hair begins to grow back. Maybe, maybe God hasn't completely forsaken him, right? Because God's the one, God's presence leaving him is the reason why he's able to be captured, right? God, God was preserving him all that time, and now God has ordained this to happen for some reason that, that we're not quite sure yet. And that brings us to Samson's death. And that's chapter 16, 23 through 31. And the scene here now is this huge worship scene. Right? There's this, it's this, they're in the, the temple of Dagon, which is the god of the Philistines. It tells us 3,000 people are on the roof itself. So, so I'm just picturing a huge kind of stadium, coliseum, Thousands of people are here. They're celebrating. They're worshiping their God. Maybe there's a, a statue of Dagon there. They're proclaiming, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. It tells us that Samson's brought out as entertainment. Right? They're entertained by his demise, by his, by his, um, by his humiliation because their God has beat his God, right? So this whole thing is about this conflict between now Dagon and Yahweh, right? The one true God, Yahweh, the God of Israel, and Dagon, the false Philistine God, right? We see kind of the, the root under all of this conflict that's happening between the Philistines and Israel is, is you know, the true God and their false God. And that's, and so... We see Samson isn't finished quite yet, right? He's not, he's not finished delivering quite yet. He has to be to fill the, the pillars of the temple and to, and to be able to rest up against them. And, so, and, and for only the second time recorded in this, in this text, 
we see Samson praying. We see Samson praying. He's always assumed he's going to be strong, but now in his, in his humility, he's, he's, he realizes that he, he needs to pray and ask the Lord for strength. And, and he asks the Lord in verse 28, he says, O Lord God, please remember me and please, please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Right? So he's praying with, with humility. He's praying for strength for one more time, for, for vengeance. And, and with one final prayer in verse 30, he says, let me die with the Philistines. It tells us that he bowed all his strength and the house fell upon the lords and all the people who lived in it. So God gives him strength to, to push over these pillars that, that the, the, the building is leaning on, and, and it collapses. And there's this, this horrific scene of just everyone's dead, right? Everyone's crushed under this building. And it's also a scene of, right, God's justice, right? We see that that God wins in this story, right? Dagon doesn't prevail. Dagon, their false god, is, is crushed under the true God, Yahweh. And we're told that Samson killed many more when he died than while he lived. And so we see this, uh, this amazing change in, in Samson's life, right? His strength returns because for the first time now in his life, he's exercising faith where God has humbled him. God has changed his heart. And, and if, you, if you go read it, Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, we see that, that uh, this, which is the, you know, kind of the faith hall of fame, we see Samson is there in spite of all his sin, in spite of all his brokenness, in spite of all the horrific things he's done. He's in there as, as a person of faith because I think this is the moment where where his heart was changed, and he truly surrendered to God, and, and he truly trusted God, and God used him, right, to, to begin, right? Remember what, what his role was, that he will begin to save the people of Israel from the Philistines. And so his mission was accomplished. What God had called him for, what God had set him apart for, was accomplished. And God, God was working in preserving his people. And so it, the, we see the story ends right there. There's no silence. There's no rest. There's no rest in the rest of the book of, of Judges as we go through this cycle. It's, it's continued, uh, and it's not going to get better next week. All right? It's not going to get better. But God is still moving and, and working in the midst of all this, this brokenness. So uh, what can we learn from the life of Samson? We have a little bit of time left. And I thought since it's, it's Valentine's Day, I wanted to focus in on Samson and Delilah's relationship. I want to talk a little bit about relationships and marriage. There's a, a ton of application that I could have done, but uh, this is all we have time for. So what we see is with Samson and Delilah that they were an, an extreme case of using one another rather than serving one another, Right? They are both in this relationship for what it means for them, for what they're going to gain, right? Delilah is going to gain, right, riches and, and, and possibly a, be a national hero. Uh, Samson's going to gain, right, sexual pleasure, 
He, it seems like he, he might be addicted to the, the thrill that he gets being around this, this, this dangerous woman, right? He might be an adrenaline junkie. He, he gets this thrill uh, in, in these battles because he's always victorious, and so he gets that from, from Delilah. And so they're both saying to each other, I'm with you because I love you. But what they really mean is I'm, I'm with you because you're useful to me. Right? There's, a, there's definitely a, a, a lot of passion in romance, but that doesn't mean they love each other. Right? Their, their motive is all for themselves. And so, unless you experience God's love that, that fulfills your deepest of needs, you know, all your relationships will be, the motive that will be there will be for yourself. Right? Unless, you, unless you're so filled up by God and, and His love and He satisfies you, you can only get into relationships that, that feed yourself. Self-serving relationships. Right? And you will use people rather than truly love them. Right? And if you have a relationship with God, even though most passionate I love you will really mean I need you to, and I just wrote some things out here, feel, feel loved accepted, and valuable, right? Unless we have a relationship with God, uh, our, our I love you will mean I need you to tell me that I'm attractive or I, I need you to for your approval and acceptance. I need you to feel safe and secure. I need you to make me happy. I need you because I don't want to be alone, right? So if you notice that all those I needs are the motive is, is it's, it's the self, right? It's not love and, and focusing on the other person. And so without a fulfilled relationship in Jesus, we will only be able to love as long as we're getting what we need, right? We'll have a, a conditional kind of love, right? I love you as long as you are doing X for me, right? And if you don't do it for me, then I'm not gonna. Then I'm not gonna love you back, which is the the recipe for a, a destructive relationship, right? When when two people are both saying, "No, this is about me," you're gonna have much conflict. You're gonna have a lot of division. It's gonna be destructive, as we see in Samson and Delilah's relationship. Two people totally only committed to themselves. So, because and so, true love is unconditional right that's the way god loves god has an unconditional love he loves his people in this story and remains committed to them not because of anything they did not because they cried out they didn't cry out and say and yet god still raises up a deliverer to to protect them to preserve them and so that's just like samson begins to save israel even though they didn't cry out. We see in the New Testament, right, Romans 5, 8, that God shows his love for us, that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us, right? So Samson is a, is a foreshadowing of Jesus. He's a foreshadowing. And he's a foreshadowing of unconditional love, which is, which is true love, which is the love that Christ gives. And in Ephesians 5, 1, as we're talking about love, it tells us, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. 
and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Right? So we're talking about love. And, and, and without knowing the love of God, all of our relationships are, are self-focused. And only until we know the, the love of Christ and how he died for us, right? He gave himself up as a fragrant offering. He gave himself up to us. Only when we understand God's love can we therefore imitate God and, and love people unconditionally. So we need God's love. And so how can we imitate God and walk in love? We have to know that love is not, because Samson thought love was a feeling, it was an emotion, it was passion, sexual passion. But what we see that true love is, right, and Christ-like love is, is, is dying to self. It's giving up yourself. It's giving up your feelings, your, your passions and emotions. Those things might be there, but it's more of, it's a choice. It's a choice to, to love someone and give up my life for them. Right? If Samson and Delilah would have done that, maybe they would have got married and they would have had a, a healthy relationship. Instead, destruction. And so, the other day, I wonder if I should share this. Well, I'll just share this. I, I talked to a guy. I had a conversation with a, a guy. And he asked me, uh, uh, this might, he asked me, he told me that he loves hoes. And he asked me if I love hoes. You know, it was the strangest thing. You know, I was having a small talk, and all of a sudden this guy asked me that, and I said, no, I love my wife. And he's all, he said, well, I love, I love my fiancé too, but, but, um, but, you know, but I love other girls as well. And I said, <laughs> and I was just, I was like, man, if, if you truly love her, then how can you think, how can you separate these things out, right? That's not love. His, in his idea, he, he equates love with, with, with romance or, or some kind of feelings, right? He doesn't see love. He sees love as it's about himself and what he gains from her rather than pouring out my life and giving my life and being devoted to someone, right? That's, that's often where, where we miss it because we think it's about feelings or emotions, or even sex, which is not true, right? Love is a choice to give yourself away to someone, to be committed and, and devoted to them, to be centered on them and not yourself. And that's, that's, that's what, I'm, this, this, what I'm trying to highlight, right, with Samson and Delilah. They're about self. They don't love each other. True love gives away your life for the other person. And so I, I want to encourage you to, I want to give you a little Valentine's Day challenge, all right? If you've been in self-serving in your relationship, you know, and it might not be as extreme as Samson and Delilah or this, this guy the other day that I spoke with, but we've all been a little, at least a little, we've all been a lot selfish, let me just be honest, right? I, I encourage you to do four things to break the cycle, all right? To, to start off fresh, to receive God's grace, the first thing I want you to do is confess to God, right? Confess to God how, how you've been selfish in your relationship. Confess to God how, how you've done right in your own eyes rather than what's right in His eyes. 
confess. Ask Him to forgive you. Ask Him to change you. Ask Him to give you new desires. But the point is confess. Receive God's grace. Receive God's forgiveness because it's there. Right? After you confess to God, I pray, I, I encourage you to go forg- for, forgive your spouse. Right? Pray. And, and a lot of times when, that when we're being self-serving in relationships, it's because we're holding unforgiveness towards our spouse. Right? So I, I don't want to serve them. I don't want to be about them because they've sinned against me in some way. So I want to encourage you to, however they've sinned against you, to forgive them, right? If you truly know God's grace, God's forgiveness, we're, we're commanded to forgive. How can we not forgive, right? Like Israel, we've sinned repeatedly over and over and over in our lives against God, and He forgives us, so we're commanded to forgive. And so I would do that privately. I would, I would forgive your spouse. The third thing to break this cycle is I want you to confess to your spouse your own sin. Right? I want you to take the, the high road of humility. And you, you know what? They, they may have sinned. They, they're not perfect in this whole thing. But I want you to own up to how you've fallen short, to how you've sinned. And I want you to go to them and confess your sin. And don't go to point the finger at them. Right? Go to own up and point the finger at yourself. Right? And you don't, need to, you don't need to hear any confession. You don't need to hear anything from them because you've already forgiven them. So I want you to go and confess your sin and I pray by God's grace that they would, they would respond. But, but you can't control them. You can only do what God wants you to do. So go to them and confess. If not, this, what, what usually happens in, in marriages, in relationships, the, self, the cycle of self continues because you only want to point at the other person. right? And if you point at the only, or other person only, the cycle will continue. So if you want to break it, point the finger at yourself because you've already received forgiveness and grace from God. And four, I want you to love them and serve them regardless of how they respond to you. Right? The point is I'm, a, I'm not going to do this and, and force them to change. And No, I'm going to practice what God called right, this unconditional love that, that Jesus Christ gives. Right? I'm going to choose to love them and bless them and serve them. And I'll pray that God might, might change their heart and they might respond. And they might, and they might not, right? But we're called to, to love like Christ loved us, all right? So I'd encourage you to do those four things as, as a response, right? We love because God first loved us. So confess to God, forgive your spouse, confess to your spouse, and love them and serve them regardless of how they respond to you. Right, so let's pray. Lord Jesus, I I pray, Lord, that I know that relationships are are very difficult, Lord. They're very hard, Lord. I I pray, Lord, that we might break this cycle and not fall into this this pattern that that Samson fell into, Lord. This brokenness, but we could have a, a true loving relationship submitted to you, Lord. Give us your grace and mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.